Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where all that the Catholic Church believes and teaches is served fresh daily. So come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzymski. Greetings and welcome to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff, sitting in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. And we're in France still, in Lourdes, France, uh, on pilgrimage. And I'm here with my co-host, Robert Hutton. Robert, you doing all right? I'm doing great, Deacon. Got another cup of espresso. No, this is Cafe Lait. This one's Cafe Lait. Lots of great cafe it's here. It's really strong. A lot stronger than the coffee we usually Well, it's very tasty. Of course, our guests are stronger, too. Yeah, that's true. Right? And we have a, a wonderful guest here and a great topic um, that we're going to cover today. And we have Michelle Bowe. And Michelle is the Hospitaller for the Order of Malta Federal Association, uh, which sounds very important, Michelle. And thank you and welcome to the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. Well, thank you for having me. And thank you for the delicious cup of espresso, which will give me lots of energy. First of all, what is a hospitaller? Well, a hospitaller comes from the word hospital, which was um, because we got our roots from taking care of pilgrims in a hospital in Jerusalem. And we took care of the sick and the poor and the dying in the hospital of Jerusalem for people who were coming to see the Holy Land. And from there, each of the knights in Dom, now Dom of the Order, they weren't there then, it has the uh, duty to take care of the sick and the poor. So it's the uh, job of the hospitaller to make sure that we have enough uh, jobs to do, volunteer things to take care of the sick and the poor. Well, I'm sure you're doing a wonderful job for the Federal Association as a hospitaller. But, you know, maybe even a better job and a bigger job that you actually have is the job as a mother. That's right. I, um, that's a, a wonderful job. It's a wonderful vocation. My husband and I have been married for 24 years, and we have five children. Well, here we are in Lourdes with, surrounded by Catholicism. I mean, just it's just the Catholic yeah. place, right? It's so beautiful to be here with Our Lady and to, uh, to uh, be in the same place where Bernadette had those wonderful visions. Uh, visitation from Our Lady. And so here we are thinking Catholic things, and we thought it would be great to do a show about being a Catholic mom or Catholic parents, right? And just how do you keep your kids Catholic? I know a lot of people are always asking me questions about, well, do you let your kids do this? Do you let them do that? How, you know, Or they'll tell me stories about the unfortunate situation where their kids are leaving the church, where they're not going to church anymore. And that's a, that's a devastating thing when it happens. Well, I think it's in the forefront of all of our minds as uh, moms and dads, you know, raising our children in the Catholic faith and doing the big job of passing our faith on to them because for the longest time they're just borrowing or sharing our faith. And our job really is to let them take their own faith from us. And it's that little transition that I worry about the most. And since we have children ranging from 11 to 23. How many, how many kids do you have? We have five children. We have two boys and three daughters. And it's, um, it's just been the um, best job of my life to, um, to watch them adopt our faith in small pieces. From the 11-year-old who's here with me this week in Lourdes, taking care of the sick and the poor to our uh, 23-year-old who lives in New York City and goes to Mass every Sunday with um, Cardinal Dolan. Well, that's a beautiful thought you have uh, expressed so far where you, you, you've said that, I mean, essentially it's, it's your faith that they practice, right, early on. That's right. But eventually it needs to be their faith. It they is. really have to believe this stuff. And a lot of times there's a, 
a problem in the translation or in the transition when it's it's their turn. They're not picking it up and taking it away. And so we want to talk about some of the things maybe that you are doing in your home that that were uh, that, that are that are helping your children to understand what that faith, why it's so important uh, that they take up the mantle, as it were, and carry on. Well, it's sort of funny. I remember one night when our oldest son was maybe eight years old, and I was busy with the babies and whatnot, and I said, James, don't forget to say your prayers. And I said, wait a minute. You're too old to say your prayers. Now you need to pray your prayers. I mean, the little ones, we would say their prayers. They were sort of road, and, you know, from two on, of course, they could say their prayers. But for them to really internalize them and pray them was a different matter. And that, that was when I really began to think about how do we, as parents, my husband Jim and I, how do we take our faith, which is the most important thing that we have, and get our children to, to own it in the same way? And um, Jim and I both grew up in families with um, very practicing parents and just surrounded by lots of Catholicism and love of the church and love of family. And um, I guess one of the things that we really like a lot um, – is the domestic church. And we were so happy once we were married to know that when two are in the midst, God is there. And we felt very empowered as a married couple by that. And then as we started to have children, we realized we are the keepers of this domestic church for our children. You, and, know, you know, Michelle, it's interesting because I, as a father also, I we have that same concept of being yeah. a domestic church. And so I give actually my children a blessing every night before bed. We have a routine where we pray two decades of the rosary because five, five is too long for a three-year-old. Absolutely. And, you know, they kind of squirm, but then I bless it. And it's so funny because if I forget or if we're busy, they'll come back, Daddy, you forgot to give us a blessing. So I think you're right. I think that that concept that the, the, the parent, you know, that the, there is to, to that daily time where you pray with your kids and pray over your kids. That's right. Well, and it's such a richness. The faith is so entirely rich. And so if we're praying with them, praying over them, blessing them, and then they don't have that in their lives, they'll feel that it's missing. And that's really what the point is. is, And if something is missing, we need them to learn how to fill in the void themselves by doing things like our son James. When he moved to New York, I said, James, find a nice parish that's a small parish that has like a young adult community. And every you know week he would call and tell us about the great sermon from... Cardinal Dolan, Archbishop Dolan. Wow, that's a good that's a good parish to be in. Well, it is. And I said, James, aren't you going to pick a smaller parish? And he said, you know, Mom, I just love Cardinal Dolan. And he goes there. He meets with his old friends from high school, and they get together and they go to mass and they go do something afterwards. And it um it just makes me feel so happy that I was going to say that has to make you feel good as a parent because that's a that's a that's a little success story, actually a little miracle, right? When you see that happening, absolutely. And and the fact that it's a community that they do it together, and so they're supporting each other. And doing it um, this Christmas, of course, we were all together. And one of the Christmas presents that I very carefully chose for James, because he just finally had his own apartment for the first time, was a creche. And it was a very beautiful but very simple. We like simple creche in our family. But I bought it in Peru when we had some hospitalers meetings down there. And I gave it to him at Christmas, and he was so happy to have his own creche that he could put up and Which have in his apartment. Which is the baby Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, a nativity Absolutely. set. the whole yeah. nativity set. And, um, and he'll have that forever. Yeah, see, we have nine kids in our family, and we have a, a plethora of crushes in our family. But you know exactly right. That's those are the little things that when they that's they, they start to take ownership of the faith when they start to take ownership of 
stuff in the faith, right? Where they where they do the prayers, where they uh, when we do rosaries as a family, we'll do the ro- we'll rotate who gets to say what or whatever. Mm-hmm. And those are the little things. You start small, mm-hmm. and then when they have that crest that they can put out at Christmas time. Uh, it's a, such a it, they take ownership. At That's that right. Point. And well, and it's a ritual. It's funny in our family we um, we have a lot of sacramentals. We have a little holy water font that we like to keep filled. We um, I collect icons, so we have beautiful icons. We have a beautiful um, Peruvian painting of the Blessed Mother above the fireplace, um, and. Um, picture of the Christ child from the old um, Chicago church at the top of the stairs that was mine when I was a little girl that I was so happy that my mother gave to me. And so when anybody walks into our house, they know we're Catholic. And you know, that's so important, Michelle. You see a lot of Catholic families today that don't have crucifixes Mm -hmm. frequently in the house and don't have religious symbols because that shows that your faith is important to you. That's right. And we're not, we're not um, afraid of our faith. We're not, we're not ashamed to show our faith. Um, the, the children all have miraculous medals. They have crucifixes in their rooms. They pray together. It reminds me of a story. Our kids were sitting there at the table, right, and they're coloring pictures. And uh, two of my kids were coloring. Uh, they both drew a crucifix, right, <laughs> yeah. and had the corpus on there and everything. And the other kid was drawing, I think it was an Easter egg or something, whatever it was. I don't remember what it was, but uh, it was it was not a crucifix. And the mom lamented, like, my, my kid never draws stuff like that. And it made me think. It's really what they're exposed to. If if they have these things in their life, they, they make them part of their life. They You can draw a crucifix because you know what one looks like, right? right? Because you see one in your room, and that's very important for us to remember that our kids, we're raising our kids. We tell them the things to do, the things not to do, and we show them love, and we provide food for them. But we also need to provide that imagery that what you say you have in your room, that we need to have that environment that is very Catholic. That's right. Our faith needs to be more than just Sunday. And it's not something that we just pull out. It's very, it's, it's very integral to how we live and who we are. And we can't, um, you know, go off to work or be places and we're one person and on Sunday we're a different person and at home we're someone else. And, and you talked about the love. Well, the, of course, the greatest gift to any child is a healthy and good mm-hmm. sacramental marriage. And my um, husband and I have been blessed with a beautiful marriage and we, we work to have a beautiful marriage. And our children see it. And over time, each of our children has thanked us for setting that example of being very good, faithful, loving parents. And I'm extremely devoted to my husband and thankful that he is such a good role model for the family of a good Catholic father. It's essential to have a father who unabashedly practices the faith and loves the Lord and wants to bring his children to the Lord because... I think in our culture, mothers tend to be the keepers of the faith, the keepers of culture. But I think the real litmus of children who stay in the faith, it's because of their fathers. No, I think think that's very true, Michelle. And, you know, really the parents are where it starts. You've got to love your wife. If you don't love your wife and you don't have a good, solid marriage, then your kids aren't going to experience that love or fatherly love. How are they going to know about the love of God the Father if they don't see a loving father themselves? And you can tell them all day long, right? You can say the words... But the reality is they judge by the actions. Absolutely. Right. They will remit. I tell people when I'm preparing them for baptism all the time that, that the faith that you practice is what your kids are going to practice. If you actually practice your faith, they will practice their faith and they'll pick it up. And, and you can say, well, we're going to church on Sunday. But if they see that you don't enjoy going to church on Sunday, they're never going to enjoy it until there's somebody who shows them that this is a, a joyful experience to go to mass. That's right. And to talk about the homily afterwards and to uh, you know, have friends who are um, priests and religious. 
and to um, show the children that we practice the faith not just on Sunday or maybe daily Mass, but also through the uh, hands-on service to the sick and the poor. We have so much more to talk about here on this uh, Keeping Your Kids Catholic episode of the Catholic Cafe. Before we do that, let you know about our website, www.thecatholiccafe.com. And love for you to email me. Send me an email to uh, deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. Tell me how you're, how you're keeping your kids Catholic. With that, we'll be right back. I'm Bess Drzymski, and this is another great moment in church history. St. Monica is a North African saint who has inspired millions of Catholics to pray and hope for their family members who have fallen away from or who have never even approached the Church of Christ. She was married at an early age to a man of her parents' choosing. Her spouse was a pagan man with a secure income and an exalted position within the community. Unfortunately, he lacked integrity and basic virtue. He was unfaithful to their marital vows and abusive. A biographer of St. Monica's wrote, She knew, she saw, but she kept quiet and suffered in silence. She prayed and probably wept, but realized that the religion of the pagans condoned great moral degradation. Like so many women of her time, she had nowhere in the world to turn. So instead, she turned heavenward to the help of the Almighty. And help he did. St. Monica was so well known for her deep inner peace and holiness that she began to counsel other women who had unfaithful and wayward husbands. Because of her great witness to the love of Christ in her own life, her husband eventually renounced sin and became a Christian. He died soon after his conversion and left St. Monica with her children. One of her children was the famous St. Augustine of Hippo, who had completely renounced the Christian faith of his upbringing and was living a dissolute life. The saintly woman prayed, encouraged, and pleaded with her son, like any good mother is apt to do. She followed him from their home in North Africa to Rome, and finally to Milan. St. Monica prayed to God on her son's behalf for many, many years. She never lost hope, and she never stopped praying. After many turbulent years in the lives of both St. Monica and St. Augustine, her prayers were answered. St. Augustine is now one of the greatest and most revered fathers and doctors of the Church. Many of our stories are not as dramatic as St. Monica's or St. Augustine's, but we can all learn from her persistence and filial love. Family and friends have left or avoided the loving arms of the church for many and various reasons, but they all come back for the same reason, the experience of Christ's powerful love. St. Monica is a great witness to this love of Jesus Christ. Her persistence and gentle patience are a roadmap for our own lives and conversions. St. Monica's feast day is August 27th. I'm Bester Zimski, and this has been another great moment in church history. Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. And we're back in the Catholic Cafe's luxurious corner booth. I'm Deacon Jeff, and we're talking to Michelle Bowe. And Michelle, you are uh, helping us with some of your uh, motherly wisdom. 
about how to keep your kids Catholic. And so what are some of the things that, that you guys are doing in terms of like, I know you said you had lots of sacramentals, but you probably also do a lot of uh, devotionals in your family. You kind of keep kids involved in that as well. We do. Well, you know, actually, even just to start by, all of our children are named after saints. And they've got little holy cards or medals of their patron saint. And we talk about that a lot. It's important. The um, the communion of the saints. My father recently passed away in February, which was really quite sad for all of us. But it was so comforting at the same time because the children really all talked about, well, they call them dad dog. Dad dog is now in the <laughs> communion of the saints. And while he won't be probably named a saint of the Catholic Church, we know that he's in heaven and he is a... Um, member of the communion of the saints that is sort of a lost tradition of the church by the mm-hmm. way and and um there are lots of beautiful names that you can name children and i think it's awesome that that parents care so much about their children to choose names that they think mean something but we've kind of forgotten to some degree of the names that really mean a lot and that is that communion of saints the idea that these these great people who have gone before us uh, who are there uh, interceding for us in heaven. That's, there's some power there. Absolutely. Well, I remember feeling very special as a little girl because my name is Michelle and my father was Michael and named after my father and that we were named after Michael the Archangel. And I just remember feeling so important that I had the Archangel for my namesake. And when and I do baptisms, I, I love to do the Litany of the Saints. And I look at the oh, list yes, of all the beautiful. names of all the people that are in that mm-hmm. group, uh, the godparents, the parents, the, the child, and invoke the names of the saints that those names were derived from. And even if they weren't named for them, if, if I saw a Michelle, St. Michael the Archangel, we're going to call on St. Michael mm-hmm. to, to protect this child. Yeah, it's beautiful. You, even Michelle, what else you can do, what we do in our families, you can celebrate the feast days. And we started that with our oldest daughter, Claire. Her birthday is near Christmas. So we started celebrating St. Claire's feast day. And we have a, a cake and a party. And then, of course, when you do it for one, you have to do it for all. But it's become a blessing because then they learn about their saints. They look forward to their feast days. It's just another way to really sort of emphasize that. That's right. Well, and the other thing we have is we're big readers and um, love to give each other books and book recommendations. And I always put in some nice spiritual reading. You know, for Christmas, they'll often get a book um, when they were younger, a book about a saint or a book about the rosary. And as they're older... Um, I've given them some of the um, books that have been published by members of the order on the spirituality of the order. Um, we were in Rome, Jim and I, um, for uh, Cardinal World's um, elevation to become a cardinal. And we were with many of the other members of the Order of Malta, and a few of them had brought their children the same age as our um, oldest. And what we didn't know was that these children have a little um, Facebook group that is the Children of the Order of Malta. Wow. And we had no idea. And these will be future members of the order. And they um, they watch us. They watch us with our friends working and the spirituality of this hands-on service to God to take care of the sick and the poor, to put the sick and the poor before us. And they follow it. Let's talk about that for a second. You mentioned Facebook. And I, th- we live in a world now that's, that many challenges out there as parents. We A lot of times parents are like, I don't know, what should I do about about this? You obviously probably have uh, you're preparing your kids for to live in this world, and so how does technology fit into uh, to, to your parenting and, and kind of keeping kids Catholic? Well, it's funny what I what my husband and I have noticed is that the um, the concept of sacrifice is difficult, and we um, we're blessed to um, 
live very comfortably, to have enough to share with others, but we want to teach our children about sacrifice. So we've done a few things um, that seem small, but it's, it's a little bit of sacrifice for them. Um, they've always had to share bedrooms because I know one day they'll grow up and they'll be married or they'll have a roommate at college and they'll have to share a bedroom, um, even when we've had empty bedrooms because I think it's really important to live in community and not just um, with your own bedroom and your own bathroom and things like that. Yeah, I'll yeah. always have multiple kids in bedrooms because we'll never have enough, a big enough house to have nine, or nine kids. <laughs> yeah. know, we'd, we'd t- every once in a while, they'd get a little grumpy about, oh, our house is so small, and my answer would always be, but your father's house has many rooms. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> and we heard that in one of the masses this week about the dwelling places, and I just chuckled and thought of our, our oldest son. Um, but cell phones was the first thing. We live in the city. And our boys took the um, the metro and the bus down to an inner city school, a wonderful Jesuit school, Gonzaga. And so they needed to have a cell phone to call me and let me know if they were going to be late or whatnot. And so while some of their friends were getting cell phones, say, in fifth grade, we waited till they were into high school to get their right. cell phones. Do, do you all worry about that? My kids are now starting to want cell phones. and. And with the technology, I get afraid of them sort of either isolating or they're always on the phone or the iPads and the computers. And how do you, you know, their friends all have them, and that's a real struggle. Their friends all have them, but their friends all have lots of things. And so we, um, in our family, that, you know, I'm not really interested in what their friends have. And and also, um, the children are always talking about what's fair. And so our, our sense always is if you have a dog and a bird, would it be fair to feed them both bird seed? And the answer is, of course not. The dog would die. The bird would flourish. So in our family, each person gets what they need. And so some of our children have gotten things earlier than others because that was what they needed. This but you but you certainly don't shun technology, right? You no, don't kick it out of the house. No, so no, how no. do you integrate it? Well, when they're ready for it or when they need it. And, of course, the litmus for the cell phones has always been in the past. As soon as you're old enough and mature enough and ready to take public transportation, then you clearly need a phone. Um, but our youngest daughter got a phone in the fall of fifth grade. My husband thought that he would like to get her a phone. And I was a little surprised, but we always like to stay on the same uh, side, so I didn't really say too much. And it turned out to be the biggest blessing for her to have a cell phone. Because what she does with it is she stays in touch with her 19, 21, and 23-year-old siblings with her phone. And she just texts them a little something good morning, how's your day going? Or what did you do this week? Just sweet little things like that. And so she stays in touch with them. And other than that, she she turns it on, she texts them, she turns it off. You also monitor what they do in the sense that you're, as a a parent, you're always aware of the, uh, not that you're looking over their shoulder so much as as a good parent, you need to know what they're doing and when they're doing it. It has to be monitored. Our um, computer is in a room that I can look over my shoulder from the kitchen and see the screen. Um, nobody got laptops until they were well into high school. Yeah, when you need them in high school and college, that's when the laptops right. need to be. But the thing is, you have to teach them respect for the technology and respect for themselves and um, a little bit of self-discipline, which comes along. You know, it's a fruit of the sacrifice, self-discipline. And when they have the self-discipline, then you can trust them. And the, the point is, you can't, uh, shun, you can't shun all of this technology because as soon as they get to college or as soon as they graduate from college, then they won't have the tools to learn how to deal with Imagine it. Imagine like the little Amish kid or whatever who yeah. was just thrust out into right. the world, yeah. and, you and, know, they, and all of a sudden they're confronted with all of this yeah. stuff they never had before. And it's culture shock. And yeah. it's um, in, in like families, you know, we have rules. Of course, you cannot text at the table. We have one son, I think, who's become extremely proficient at texting in his pocket. <laughs> He's a very talented individual. <laughs> and um, in rules like that because, you know, we, we always eat dinner together. And my uh, my husband's an attorney and keeps late hours. And 
So sometimes we're extremely European and we're eating dinner at 8.30 at night. Now, when they were babies, we would feed the babies and put them to bed. And when they got older, sometimes we'd feed them two dinners, a nursery dinner at six. You know, my wife, which she does, because I'm an attorney as Mm -hmm. well, and she'll feed the kids at 5.30, but then they'll eat dessert when I come home for dinner. That's right. And that's her way of, we're all home for dinner, but Mm -hmm. she can feed the others at five. Well, and because our first two were boys, and you know how boys are always hungry, they would often eat a second dinner when Jim came home. And so I would sometimes, how I would do it is I would cook a dinner. And then the leftovers would go for the children's dinner the next night. And so it was always sort of like that. You know, the older kids are sometimes harder to keep interested if they weren't before. Because I know I have a lot of listeners who are probably thinking, well, my kids aren't paying attention like they should at Mass. Or they're not reading Scripture. Or they're not doing well with any kind of prayers or reading things. And I kind of sense that maybe they're 12, 13, 14, 15 years old. That's a harder age to engage if they haven't been as a young person. What words of of wisdom or advice might you give someone who is recognizing in their child that they need this, but they don't have it, and that's a late age to kind of start? You know, I think it's never too late to start, and one thing that we're so blessed with in the Catholic Church is that it's it's truth and beauty, and the, the beauty of the Catholic Church is infinite, and to do something as simply as to bring them to a Holy Thursday Mass. Mm. The music is so beautiful. The um, the liturgy is, I mean, everything about it is so beautiful. And I can't imagine anybody not taking away that beauty. And I think as humans, we, we quest for beauty and truth. And I think that we um, can do a lot by just t- taking them to a little Eucharistic adoration. And if they're not going to read the Bible during Eucharistic adoration, or maybe you think they're not paying attention, that's okay. Not to chastise them, because you don't want to turn them away from the church if they think they can't measure up. But I always think it's important to lead them to the church. And the beauty and the truth of the church will then take them. And I think it's grace, too. I mean, from the minute they're born, from the minute they're conceived, really, we pray for them. And we pray for these graces to, um, to enter their soul and to bring them to, um, to God. I think the most important thing you just said, though, in, in that answer you just gave me was really that you lead them. And see, again, kids will recognize in you your love of the church, your love of her teachings, your love of Jesus in the Eucharist. They recognize that. So you can't just come and deposit them on the, on the, the doorstep of the church, drive off and go to the mall and come back and expect your kids to be Catholic. That's right. Well, and to, and to have the books, I mean, the lives of the saints are so beautiful, but to teach them about the, commu- the communion of saints too, because when you read those books, you think, gee, I could never measure up to say a Saint Bernadette. But to know that everybody who's in heaven is a saint, and we work our way toward that. And I, I think that the children find that very welcoming, or even a saint like Bernadette, who was such a simple young girl, and that if she uh, stood the chance, then that the rest of them you know, would have that chance as well. Michelle, thank you so much. These are some great pearls of wisdom that we can all learn from, and hopefully we can integrate into our lives so that our children will stay Catholic when they get, get older and become the, the future of the church. And we'll continue to pray for them well past the years that they're children because it's going to be important till the very end. Well, thanks for visiting here in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. Well, thank you for having me. It was quite a pleasure. Let's pray a Hail Mary together. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. Amen. Hail Mary, full Full of grace, grace, the Lord Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send an email to deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. 
The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association and is broadcast with ecclesial permission from J. Terry Stive, Bishop of Memphis in Tennessee. Join us again at the Catholic Cafe. There's always room for one more at our table.